Welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason and I'm serving as our host today. Today we're in week five of a sermon series called As It Is In Heaven. We're taking a look at the Lord's Prayer and today we're gonna hear the line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're so glad that you've joined us. We're so glad that we can gather around the scriptures for the teaching from this prayer. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, we wanna say a special welcome to you. We'd invite you to fill out the connection card and we'd like to send you a Starbucks gift card. If you've been worshiping with us for a while, we'd encourage you to go to a webpage called sumc.co slash next. There you'll find ways you can connect, grow and serve. Next up, we're gonna to listen to Stephanie as she shares with us some ways that we can connect and grow this week at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. We are looking forward to celebrating Easter here at Schweitzer in just two weeks. We'll be hosting our online services as well as two services here on campus under a big tent. At 9 a.m. we'll have traditional worship and at 11 a.m. we'll have modern worship. And between those services at 10:15 a.m., our Schweitzer Kids Ministries is hosting a big egg extravaganza at nearby Pittman Elementary where we'll be rolling out 5,000 eggs for kids up to age 12. We'd love for you to invite people to join us for Easter with Schweitzer. And to make inviting even easier, we've created special invitation packs that you can share with friends, neighbors, and family. Pick up an invitation while you're here at church or anytime stop by the church office and grab some between now and Easter. During Holy Week, we'll be offering a special Stations of the Cross experience with interactive stations on campus that go along with a video guide that can be used anywhere. The Stations of the Cross experience on campus will be available Thursday and Friday, April 1st and 2nd from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and on Saturday, April 3rd from 7 a.m. to noon. Find out more about all things Easter at sumc.co slash Easter. Thanks, Stephanie, for sharing with us ways we can connect and grow at Schweitzer. If you're worshiping with us live, we'd encourage you to take a moment, use the chat feature, say hello. Also, if you'd like prayer, there's somebody who would be happy to pray with you in the prayer room. Now let's join KJ as we enter into worship. Once again, I 
heart And my one devotion Is you and you only All that I want Is all that you are And all that I'm needing All that I'm seeking All that I want Is all that you are And my one devotion Is you and you only All that I want Is all that Throughout the Gospels, one of the major actions of Jesus is the work of bringing healing and wholeness of life in body, mind, spirit, and relationships. The ministry of healing did not stop with Jesus. We see healing in the early church and throughout history. The letter of James calls for an active ministry of prayer and anointing the sick that they may be healed. The work of healing is God's. The way God heals is inclusive of medicine, proper care for one's physical and mental health, a healthy community, and marvelous interventions of God's grace. Prayer has always been at the heart of ministry at Schweitzer. In fact, behind each of the blocks of wood on the wall behind me are prayers written by people who believed in what God would do next. Today, we rejoice that among us, there are those who have been preparing to lead a new season of healing prayer at Schweitzer. This group has been studying the scriptures and learning from people in the field how to practice the presence of Jesus anoint with oil, listen for the Holy Spirit, and offer the ministry of prayer. We firmly believe that Christian healing is the difference that Jesus makes in the body, mind, spirit, and lifestyle for those who take him seriously. Today, we want to commission and pray for the healing prayer team as they make themselves available for ministry. Would you join me in praying for them and for all of us? Kind Father, as you have raised up a new team ready to express your ministry of healing, we pray for them and for us today. Father, we know that you are good, creative, and restorative. We claim all that is in your generous heart for this team of ministers. We pray that their presence and ministry would convey the presence of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the healing power of Jesus. We pray for those to whom you send them, that every place would be open to your strong and loving presence, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your loved ones would be made whole in body, mind, and spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, would move within hearts, freeing all that could hurt and bring new life to every level of being. Lord Jesus Christ, as this team goes in your name, may all who experience them know you are close. And may the joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon them, surge within them, and bring wholeness, joy, and peace. Amen. Now hear this commendation. St. Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. 
No hand but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the feet with which he must go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he must bless the world now. Friends, go forth in this work that the Lord has given you. If you'd like to learn more about the Healing Prayer Ministry or request prayer, you can go to sumc.co slash prayer. If you'd like to serve as a part of this ministry, you can contact David Freeman at dfreeman at sumc.co. A week ago at our in-person worship services, we were able to celebrate baptisms and membership of the Cowherd family and of Scott Buckley. Your faithful, generous, joyful giving made space available for people to take steps of, of new faith and connectivity. We are thankful for your generosity. We're thankful for your continued giving to the Lord's work in this time and space. Today, you can continue to give generously at sumc.co slash give. Now, join with Marsha Mankin as we continue in our worship. Welcome, friends. My name is Spencer, and today is going to be part five of our series called As It Is in Heaven. We are spending six weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer. So it's part five. We're coming up to the end. Um, Easter will, will be a, a new, new series. We'll start uh, after Easter. And so coming up at the end here, As It Is in Heaven, looking at the Lord's Prayer. As we go through the series, we're really doing a simple thing. Each week, we're looking at the same passage and then just lifting up different phrases from the Lord's Prayer to, to unpack it, understand it, and then just ask a really simple question. What does this teach us about how to pray? because that's really what the Lord's Prayer is about. It's about teaching us how to pray and learning how to do this. And so we're learning from Jesus. What does he teach us 
about how to pray. So the Lord's Prayer, it's found in Matthew chapter six, reading the same passage each week. And the Lord's Prayer is part of this larger section on prayer that Jesus gives. And we're reading the whole section each week because I want us to see in context what he says. And so Matthew chapter six, verse five is where he starts this section on prayer. And here's how it goes. It says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Um, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. And here comes the Lord's Prayer. Here, here it is here. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he wraps up this section on prayer and he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So here we are in part five of the series, come to the end of the Lord's prayer. We see this in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is what we're going to wrestle with today, this uh, deliver us from the evil one, lead us not into temptation, this, this line he gives us. And as we do this, we're going to unpack it again, ask that simple question, what does this teach us about how to pray? And to unpack it, we're just, we're really just going to divide this into two sections here. Lead us not into temptation. And then we're going to talk about this line, deliver us from the evil one. And so um, let's start with that first line. Lead us not into temptation. And I don't know what word in that line grabs your attention, but I'll tell you what grabs mine. And it's that word temptation. What, what do we mean when we talk about temptation? Well, remember that the New Testament, it was written in, in Greek and not in English. These are your translations here. I'm reading from the NIV, the all translations. And so this this Greek word here that's been translated as, as temptation, I want to I show you some other examples of this word in action in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 4 is a great example, classic example of this word in action. And in Matthew chapter 4, this word temptation is going to be exactly what you think it is. So here's what Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And if you know the story in Matthew 4, Jesus is going to go through a series of three temptations where really the whole series is, a, is about, is Jesus going to use his power for himself? And he's tempted by the devil as he's, in, as he's in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 4, this idea of temptation means exactly what you think it means. It's this attempt to make someone do something that they shouldn't. It's uh, to do something wrong. That's, that's how we think of temptation usually. But let me give you another example of this word in action. And let's go to James chapter one. And in James chapter one, the word that is translated from the Greek as temptation into English that we have is not, like you're not gonna find the word temptation here in the English, but you, you will still, this Greek word is still in the sentence. And so I wanna read to you James chapter one, and, uh, verse two and three, it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, again, that word temptation is not there in the English, but in the Greek, instead, the word testing has been translated as from the same word, testing. And in this case, it's not about making someone do something that's wrong. It's, it's more about having to persevere through adversity and struggle and trial. That's, that's what the idea here is. And so, and so you have this, this line, lead us not into temptation. And we may be talking about lead us away from you know, the attempt to make us do something wrong, or we may be talking about just simply lead us away from the trials and the struggles and the pain that we, that we sometimes have in life. And so we pray this line, lead us, you know, not in temptation, lead us away from temptation, which I think begs a question. If we're asking God to lead us away from this temptation, this adversity, these trials in our life, does that mean that sometimes God leads us into them? Like, does, does God sit in heaven and like, try to set up scenarios that are going to try us and tempt us and try to get us to fall? Is that what God is doing? Is like, is our life like a chessboard to him where he's trying to create these little pitfalls that are going to make us, make us fall? It's like, God, ah, I got him today. This one's really going to make him. Is that, is that what God is like? Well, well of course not. Like, that's not the nature of God. God doesn't cause these temptations and trials and things in our life. Like God doesn't like lead us into these situations that are especially difficult in life. But at the same time, he, he certainly allows them. 
He allows temptation. He allows these trials. He allows all kinds of struggles that we face. And so he may not lead us into them, but he certainly allows them. Let me, let me show you a great example of this. Um, if we go back to James chapter one, remember it starts off with this line, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. You go down a few more verses, down to verse 13, and listen to what James says about temptation there. In James 13, James talk, says this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God isn't designing these little scenarios where, where he's trying to get us to fall into these little traps. Like that's not what God is doing. So we don't say that. And, and here's why. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Like this is the nature and character of God. The nature and character of God is not trying to trap us and trick us and, and cause these kinds of things to happen to us. But James is also clear, like God allows these things to happen. God allows these adversities and these trials and these struggles that we have, these temptations to come. He, he may not cause them, but he, but he certainly allows them. And there's something about that adversity, whether it's the struggles that come into us in life or whether it's the temptations to do something that's wrong, there's something about those adversities that, that really start to show what's really going on in your life, which I think is what James is getting at with considerate joy, that that you start to see who your character really is and what your heart really is, and what's really going on, on the inside as soon as you start facing adversity. Because it's one thing to say, you know what? I love God. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to follow him and, and have faith. It's one thing to say that when nothing hard is happening in life. It's one thing to say, I love God if there's like no struggle and no temptation, and no distractions, and nothing that's trying to get my attention. It's one thing to say that then, it's another thing entirely to say that I'm gonna be faithful in the midst of struggle and trial and temptation. That's a whole other time. Let me give you a really trivial example of this. I Trivial, I'm gonna, it's, it's very trivial. But I, I think back to um, when, my, when my oldest, my oldest daughter Grace was a newborn. And she was a newborn and there was this one night in particular that is like, lodged in my memory. It's one of those 2 a.m. kinds of nights that happened when you have newborns in the house. And I remember um, um, this, this particular night, Grace was there. She's a little bitty, little bitty baby, just a newborn baby. And, uh, you know, she's our first one. So we have no idea what we're doing. I used to tell people when they ask us how we're doing, when we had our first kid. I was like, man, I feel like we're drowning. I like, we just, I have no idea what we're doing. And so you have this kind of sense of we're like, all of life feels like it's out of control. So, Let's add sleep deprivation into the mix and it's gonna be, it's gonna be great. But there was this one particular night, my wife Abby, she was, she was done for the night and, uh, and I was up with the baby, which I'll just be really blunt here and honest, like this didn't happen a lot. So probably it's lodged in my memory because it's one of the few times that I was up with the baby in the middle of the night and I was, I was with her and I was rocking her and pacing her back and forth in the room, trying to get her to go to sleep. And all the while, I just like, I felt within myself like this, this anger that just kept rising higher and higher and higher. Like, like the more she wouldn't sleep, it was like this anger meter just kept going up in my life and my heart and inside me. And here's this little like, I don't know, 15 pound person, 13 pound person. She has no control over this situation whatsoever. And yet I find myself being incredibly angry at her for not going to sleep. And, and I, I finally was like, I gotta put her up. I'm getting too angry. I gotta walk away from the situation. And I remember the next morning, probably over like my fifth cup of coffee, I just remember feeling this incredible like shame because I was thinking to myself, how in the world was I so angry at this little 15 pound person who had no control of the situation? I just remember thinking to myself very clearly, I thought my character was more developed than that. Like a trivial example, but you introduce like a little bit of adversity and all of a sudden, like these issues in my life, these, these like heart issues and character issues, like they bubble up to the surface. This is what happens when you're introduced to just like a little bit of adversity. It starts to, it starts to come up in your life. C.S. Lewis has this great line. I'm going to paraphrase it, but he has this great line where he says something like, everyone feels loving if they don't happen to be annoyed at the, at the moment. Like this is life. You introduce just like a little bit of adversity into our life, a little bit of challenge, a little bit of struggle. And all of a sudden, the, 
the character, your real character, who you really are on the inside, it bubbles up inside you and, and this is what you start to see. And so, so this is the, this is this struggle with temptation. Like it, it begins to show you what's really inside you and this, this character that you really are, are living with and what, what you really are like on, on the inside. And so we pray to lead us away from this. But listen, the, the, the Christian life, like we should have no expectations in the Christian life that we're gonna live a life without temptation, a life without those struggles and without that adversity and without that, that, that push down a path that leads to some darkness within it. Like we should have no expectation that, that we're gonna be free from temptation. But at the same time, we should have every expectation that in the midst of that struggle and in the midst of those temptations, that God is faithful and he's there for us in our weakness. That God wants us to live in his victory, that he wants us to live in his life and he wants us to, to live a life that is victorious over those things. I think of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul, Paul writes this, he says, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind, common to everyone. And then he says, in the midst of all that temptation, he says, but listen, God is faithful. God is faithful. So yeah, there's gonna be struggle, there's gonna be adversity, there's gonna be times where your character is shown, it's not gonna be nearly where you thought it was gonna be, but listen, 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 listen. God is faithful. He goes on and says, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful, this is the hope that we have. So yes, we should, we should have expectation that there is going to be temptation. There is going to be trial. There is going to be testing. There, there is going to be moments in our lives every single day that cause like that little bit of adversity that causes our heart and our, our character issues to emerge and we're going to see who we really are. And this is just part of the Christian life. We should come to expect that, but we should also expect that God is faithful, that he is on our side, that he has our back, that he's not back there just manipulating situations to make it hard for us, but rather he wants us to live in his victory, even in the midst of that kind of adversity. You see, the struggle though for us becomes that while God is, is there for us and that he is faithful, there is also one who is actively opposing us, which brings us to that second part of the Lord's prayer. Lead us not in temptation and then but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, when I say that, deliver us from the evil one, I'm, I'm quoting from the NIV here, the International Version. This is the translation of the Bible I normally read from. Um, but if you were paying attention to that, that's different than the prayer that we normally pray in our church. Because the way that we normally say that same line in our church is like this, um, but deliver us from evil. So if you're paying attention, there's one word that's different between those two versions, and that one word is significant. <laughs> it is very significant. Deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from evil. You see, there is a world of difference between the idea of evil and the evil one. A world of difference. Evil is like this kind of nebulous, vague, kind of just understanding of the hardships of life, that's evil. It's, it's the disasters and the pain and the struggle and the grief that comes with life that all of us go through. And we should have no expectation that we would ever be free of those things. But, but that's not the same thing as to talk about an evil one, one who is who is actually actively opposing us in our life and the life that we're gonna live for the Lord. I mean, listen to how the Bible describes the evil one, not just evil in general. I mean, I think about verses like 1 Peter chapter five. 1 Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Like that's, that's not the same thing as evil. That's, that's not the same thing as this vague kind of nebulous idea of disaster and setbacks and sickness and grief and the kinds of things that we go through. That's describing someone who is actually actively working against you. When I think about 2 Corinthians chapter four, Paul says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Again, this is not a general sense of evil. This is talking about the God of this age, this, 
this evil one who is actively working to blind people from faith and from truth. Like, this is something else entirely. Or I think about um, John 10, 10, when Jesus talks about the work of the evil one, and I love this line. He just simply says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. There is one who is actively opposing you. This is not the same thing as just a general blanket statement about evil. This is describing a, like a personality, this, this one who is working actively against us. And, and I get that as I talk about this evil one, that there's some of us who are really uncomfortable with this because we're thinking to ourselves, we're talking about the devil? I mean, how does a rational person possibly believe in, in something like, like the devil? And for many of us, we think of like the devil and, and we've got this idea of some guy and you know, red tights, who's, you know, small, sits on our shoulder and got a pitchfork, like a Disney cartoon kind of thing. And if that's your view of, of evil, then certainly, like, I get why this would be a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But, but also, if you're going to take Jesus seriously, you have to take seriously how Jesus took the evil one seriously. Because Jesus talked about the evil one. He, he assumed that this was was part of life. A great example, just how seriously Jesus talked about the evil one is to think about the Lord's Prayer itself. I mean, think about this. The Lord's Prayer really has four things we're asking God to do on our behalf. Provide for us, for his will, may your will be done, daily bread, forgiveness, and deliverance from the evil one. I mean, there's really four petitions. And you think about that, four things. That, that we're asking for. And one of those happens to be this, like, like out of all the things Jesus could have put on the list, this one made the cut. I mean, think about it. The Lord's Prayer in the original Greek is 56 words. I know that because I counted one, two, three, four. And I counted through all the words. And the fact that this one makes the cut, that we're praying about this deliverance from the evil one, that this would make the cut in such a short prayer tells you how seriously Jesus takes this idea of the evil one in your life, someone who's actively opposing you from living into God's good and perfect will. I mean, it, it, it makes sense that when you, when you think about it like that, I mean, think about all the things that don't make the list, don't make the cut for the Lord's prayer. There's nothing in here about things like praying for God's blessings or pray, praying for our health or praying for, for wisdom or guidance or the kinds of things that we normally might think about praying for. There's nothing in here about giving thanks, for instance, which is a normal way of praying. And yet here it is, 25% of the things we ask for out of the four, we're praying about this deliverance from the evil one. Like Jesus takes this seriously. So, so you and I, like we, we need to take this seriously as well and to understand that there is one who is actively opposing us in our life. There is one who wants to keep us from living into God's good and perfect will for us. And, and this is a reality of life. So Christians, we should have no expectation that we would be spared from evil. Sickness, suffering, setback, disaster, violence, those kinds of things happen to everyone. And in the Bible, some of the most faithful people in the scripture experience those exact things. But while we should have no expectation that we would be spared from evil, we should have every expectation that we could be protected from the evil one. I think about the promise that Jesus makes in John chapter 17. In John 17, Jesus is, is praying. This is right before the crucifixion. He's in the garden and he's praying and he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for the people who will believe because of his disciples, like the second generation, the third generation, the hundredth generation, the thousandth generation of Christians who will come after them. Like we're included in this prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus prays this. I love this verse, John 17, verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them, that is us, the Christians who believe because of the disciples and the apostles and all of us who believe. So my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, not that you spare them all the problems of the world and the evil and the darkness that is out there, not that you spare them from that, but that you protect them from the evil one. I mean, the truth of the scripture is that, is that Jesus is victorious over, over the evil one. And while this is a reality that there is a, an oppositional force to our life, the expectation of Jesus is that we would be protected. And so we pray for, for deliverance here. And I think it's so incredibly telling that of all the things that could be in the Lord's prayer, this makes the cut and is something that we need to take seriously. And it starts to also teach us a few things about what it means to, to pray. The fact that Jesus takes this so seriously teaches us some things about what this means about how to pray, which is the question we're asking 
in each one of these messages each week is what does this teach us about how to pray? And first and foremost, this line, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from the evil one. One of the first things that this should teach us about how to pray is that simply we need to have an expectation that uh, as we follow Christ, as we seek a life of faithfulness, as we seek a life of relationship with him, we should expect struggle, struggle. We should expect trouble. We should expect trial. We should expect that life will be hard. We should expect that there will be things in our way that are interfering with us having a full and abundant life in Christ. We should come to expect that, that there is one who is actively seeking to oppose us, that we have our own evil desires within us that are gonna try to drive out the, the, the darkness that's in us. Like we should expect that these things are gonna come to the surface and that we're gonna have to battle them. In fact, if you're talking about the evil one, you're talking about how to pray, I mean, one of the best places to look for this, this wisdom about what does this teach us about how to pray is, is Ephesians chapter 6. I mean, you can't talk about the evil one without talking about Ephesians 6. It's just, you have to go there. And so Ephesians 6, I want you to listen to how Paul describes this struggle that we have against the evil one. Paul says this, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I just want you to hear that line there, against the devil's schemes. There is a, an assumption here that there is one who is actively working against you. There is one who's actively opposing you from living into God's good and perfect will. Go, keep going here, it says, for, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our real struggle in life is not against people. It's not against people who disagree with us. It's not against people who oppose us. It's not against people at all. Our real struggle is, is spiritual. So our, our real struggle is so much deeper than that. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. That's always talking about the spiritual world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, hear the, hear the assumption that's being made here about what life is really like in this battle that we have for our souls. We keep reading here, verse 13. Paul says, here's what you do about this. He says, therefore, because of this, this struggle is real, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Man, I love Ephesians 6. It's so, so good as we read through this, but it keeps going here. It keeps going. Verse 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, on all occasions. Don't, don't be shy. Don't, don't just pray every once in a while, on all occasions, about everything that you're struggling with, all of the things that are coming at you, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fear, uh, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it uh, fearlessly as I should. I love Ephesians 6. I love how this, this battle is framed. I love the imagery. It's so vivid. It's so inspiring. I love the shield of faith, the, the sword of the spirit, the, the helmet of salvation. I love the belt of truth. I love all of this imagery that we have. And, and as you read through Ephesians 6, though, there's a, there's a tendency to focus in on the imagery of this battle, this armor of God that, that's laid out here, and to miss an incredibly important detail that's about how we actually fight this battle. Because in the last three verses that we just read, last three verses we just read, there's nothing in here about swords or shields or belts or anything like that. But in the last three verses we just read, five times prayer is mentioned. Five times. In the last three verses, five times prayer is mentioned, which tells us something about, about how we fight this battle against the evil one. That this isn't a, a battle that we fight in our own strength. It's not a battle that we fight because of our own cleverness, trying to, trying to create situations where we won't be tempted or, or fall or struggle. This is a battle where we, do, we rely on the Lord to fight for us. It's a battle that we handle the adversity and the struggles in our life. We handle it through prayer. What does this teach us about how to pray? 
It teaches us that we have to rely on the Lord for all of the adversity and struggles and temptations that we're going to face in life. Like we have to rely on Him. And so Jesus teaches us, pray like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the trust, trust that the Lord is able to actually work on our behalf in the midst of this battle. So one of the things I've been, I've been teaching throughout this series is that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that we really shouldn't do is just pray the words over and over and over again, as if the, the power of the prayer is just really in the, in the set of words that we pray. I mean, certainly there's benefit in praying this together as a church. We learn it, we, we, uh, we internalize it, we, we pray this together, but really in our own lives, a much better way to go about the Lord's Prayer is not just to say the set of words, but, but to take the ideas, to pray the framework that Jesus gives us and to pray through what the, what the framework looks like here. And so we, we think about this line today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And, and you start to think to yourself, well, what would it look like for me to pray this, you know, on a daily basis over my life? You know, what what would it look like for me to reframe this and rephrase this so I'm praying over my temptations and my trials and my struggles to the Lord? And and one of the things that we would want to do is that we would want to list these things before the Lord. We would want to name the the places in our life that we have struggle, that we have temptation, the places in our life that we feel beat down, the places in our life that we feel like we are not living into God's good and perfect will for us. Like we want to name these places because, because these are places that the Lord wants to deliver us from. We want to be specific in these things. We want to, we want to not shy away from them and, and not just pray about them after we've fallen into that temptation. We want to pray beforehand and to name these struggles that we have with the Lord. One of the things I do, um, I, I shared this a few weeks ago, is that I, I keep a note on things that I'm praying for. I used to keep it in my Bible on a note card. These days I keep it on my phone. And uh, in, on my note, I've got like the different people I'm praying for on different days of the week and some other big things that I'm, I'm praying through. But one of the things I have written on my note card on my phone is, is I just, I've got this line that goes like this, my struggle with, and it goes dot, dot, dot. And it's just like a prompt. Like, what are the things that I'm struggling with today? And it's a, it's a little line that I see every single day that prompts me to think through, I need to pray through my struggles. I don't just need to pray for God's blessings or pray for His providence or pray for forgiveness. Like, I need to name before the Lord ahead of time the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I'm tempted with, the things that I'm battling with. Because the reality is, there is one who is seeking to oppose me. There is one who doesn't want me to live into God's good and perfect will, but also God is faithful. And so I can trust him with every area of my life, including my struggles, including my temptations, including my trials and my adversity, and all of the things that that seek to limit me from living into God's will for me. God is faithful. He is victorious, and he wants to share his victory with us. So as we close today, um, we're going to pray this prayer that Jesus taught. And my hope for you is that as you're facing temptation, as you're facing struggles, adversity, pain, struggles in your life, that you would learn to rely on the Lord for the strength to see you through that. And you don't rely on Him just in your own power. You, You do this through prayer. On a daily basis, we come and we bring these struggles before the Lord and we rely on Him to fight our battles for us. Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us in worship today. It has been a joy to have you join us in this, in this time of worship. I want to say a special thanks to those who've helped produce and make this worship possible. To the folks behind the scenes, Alec, Taylor, Jen, KJ. To Stephanie for sharing with us how we can connect and grow here at Schweitzer. For KJ and Marsha for leading us in songs of worship. For Spencer sharing us Uh, sharing with us a way in which we can pray. If you know somebody that would be helped by this sermon series, somebody that would be encouraged, we encourage you to take a moment and share this experience with them. Now, it's been a great joy for me to have hosted this time together. I'd encourage you to have a great week and let you know that we are looking forward to next week and Easter Sunday, where we can celebrate, continue to grow and continue to celebrate what God is doing in our world. Have a blessed week. Amen.